0: This is Dr. George Tiller, he is a Christian and identifies as a Lutheran Christian. He was a physician in Wichita, Kansas. Along with his other duties as a doctor, he performed abortions. On Sunday, May 31st, 2009, Scott Roder walked into the Reformation Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas, just after 10 a.m. in the morning where Dr. Tiller, A member of that church was serving as an usher that day. Roeder pulled a gun and shot Tiller in the head. He died instantly. During his trial, Roeder, who had given a full confession of the murder, claimed he should not be found guilty because he was simply protecting the lives of others. He called his action justifiable killing. And he and many others in this country who agree with him claim that scripture supports what he did, And that as Christians we too are called to the same action. Perhaps Roter and his followers are not familiar with this parable or if they are perhaps the main point Jesus is trying to make has eluded them. So last week when we were together we explored that main point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable, God's paradoxical answer to what we should do with evil. Allow Forgive, suffer it. That's what that original word means. Both to grow together until the harvest. And we saw again the scandal, at least from the human perspective, the great scandal of Jesus Christ, the gospel. God gave his own life to take care of the problem of evil. And because of that, we're all forgiven, all of us, for free. And subsequently, we are asked to believe in that forgiveness of our sins And evidence that faith in our lives by forgiving others. So what I want to do today is I want to look at the practical. So last week we looked at the theoretical side of why Jesus told this parable and this scandal. Okay. Today what I want to talk about is the practical side of why the farmer told his servants not to weed the garden. The practical side of this. Why God tells us to forgive you. All right, that's what I want to do today. So let's start by going back to verse 25. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheats among the wheat and went away. There is a valuable lesson here that can help us begin to understand better the kingdom of God and our role in God's kingdom. And there's something powerfully comforting here. And Rich, I was thinking about you a lot this week going over this and, and others in our community. Notice here that the enemy has no ability to directly affect the kingdom of God. Notice that. If he did, wouldn't he have just come into the field and dug up the wheat? Ripped it up, dug up any seeds that hadn't sprouted yet? Or he could have come and scattered poison to destroy the wheat. So as... Instead, all he did was plant his weeds alongside the wheat and then he went away. That's it. As this is told, there is a decided impotence to the enemy's scheme and a very comforting confidence and lack of worry on the part of the farmer. Don't, don't, I just love that when you're reading through this. They're all, his servants are all worked up. Oh my gosh, master. And he's just so calm. He's like, yeah, an enemy's done this. That's all. No big deal. We'll get through it. This should offer us so much courage when it seems evil is running wild in our world or in our personal lives. For I think what Christ is telling us here is that while there is plenty of evil that crashes down upon us, and there is, cancer, sudden and unexplained illness, premature death, horrifying accidents, unfaithful spouses, premeditated violence, bankruptcy, war, destructive storms, and that doesn't even start talking about all the human news. (laughs) It's not the final reality. It's not. And I think if we could see this world as only a small part of the larger story, we could be comforted knowing evil cannot do any permanent damage. If we understand this world as part of a larger story. And please know this is not cliche. This is not blindly going through life. And don't worry, be happy. That's not what this is. Okay? Listen, St. Paul gives us the same answer to the problem of evil in Romans chapter 8. And by the way, in the world we live in, in our lives, these verses should be put to memory. And if you're not good at memory like me, because I don't even know what I had for breakfast this morning, but you should at least write them down and read them almost daily. This has been my prayer for, for Rich, I told him this week. This is what I've been praying for Rich and Kim. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, and hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I love that. That should be so comforting to all of us. Because all of us have things in our lives we wish we didn't have. Right? All of us. Luke Johnson comments on, on Romans in what St. Paul said this way. And I really, really like this from Luke Johnson. He says, the spirit then is a pledge of our future redemption. Human suffering is not eliminated by resurrection life, but it is transformed, since we are sustained in it by the Spirit. So then, Christians see the suffering of the world as birth pangs of a new world. It is not blind optimism, but the paradox of hope and suffering that enables Paul to declare that there is meaning even in the reverses of history, even in blindnesses and oh just hold on to that you know like you know like what rebecca's been going through what rich is going through what all of us have been going through des has been losing people and all of us are going through such suffering but there is meaning even in the reverses of history i love that line even in the blindnesses and hurts redemption has come And is coming. And it came through God's own death. Our suffering is not the end of the story. But it is filled with meaning. And if we can open our eyes and let the spirit show us that meaning. I think we will be comforted. I think we will. So everything evil does is temporary at best. The kingdom of God, despite the counterfeit kingdom of evil growing alongside it, is still doing its thing. Sure, it it may not be as fast as we would like it on those long, painful days, and sometimes it's very hard to see it through all the weeds, but be assured the kingdom of God is growing, forgiveness is redeeming people, love comes, and grace will win. That's a huge part of how we should be in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus starts explaining the mystery of the kingdom of evil. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. This begins to explain, I think, why God tells us to allow, to forgive, to suffer evil. Okay? Notice the workers do not even know where the weeds have come from. They have no idea where the weeds have come from. The farmer's answer is simply, an enemy has done this. I don't think we should underestimate the importance of this idea. It seems to suggest, and I want to add very strongly suggest, that we shouldn't try to necessarily understand the origins of evil. For that takes us off the task of what we're supposed to be doing with evil. Okay. Notice the workers accepted this answer, and they did not start theological debates about it. But we should certainly understand that the existence of evil is in large measure due to a mystery. And this can help us with forgiveness. Believe me, it can. See, one of the essential aspects of this long journey into truly forgiving others is understanding. Understand. But because there are always situations that are beyond human understanding, this is where the the reality that the existence of evil is a mystery can help. us. Has anyone ever studied the Rwandan genocide, watched documentaries on it, or read books about it? One of the things that became very clear as they were trying to figure this out, and people were interviewing countless people in Rwanda after the genocide, is within months after, Both sides, those who were being slaughtered and those who were doing the slaughtering, they both really couldn't explain what it had been about. They have direct interviews with people who killed hundreds with their hands and machetes saying, I I don't know why I was killing people. It's a really fascinating study if you've never explored the Rwandan genocide about just the darkness of evil. In fact, Noah and I, the other day, were just talking about uh, we were having a conversation about what is evil, you know, and what makes certain people do some of these heinous, grotesque things
1: on and on and on and on,
0: not just once, but on and on. And, you know, I was just sharing with him. I, I, the existence of evil to me is one of the biggest proofs of God in the sense that I, evil exists. And I, I can't explain it. I don't know where it comes from, but it exists. You, you can see evil in this world. And I, I think to me, so if evil exists, then there must be something else that exists even greater. So we're having this. So here, here's the thing why, why I'm talking about this is this can help us forgive. So remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Actually, he probably said that when he was still on the ground as they were hammering his nails and feet. I think this awareness of this very real enemy allowed him to make this statement. Now, I know some people want to hyper-spiritualize this moment, and they want to say, oh no, that's just he saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know they're killing God, they don't know they're participating in the act of redeeming the world. Okay, there's some of that, but this is a human Jesus who didn't really want to die, remember. And these are real men with big hammers and big nails knowing exactly what they're doing. (laughs) Killing him yet he says they don't know what they're doing. That's that mystery of evil. Now, I want to make a side note so I'm not misunderstood. The outside influence of evil does not take away our culpability. I want to be clear on that. That's not what I'm saying. Only Christ's forgiveness does that. We're still guilty, of course, for choosing to participate in evil, but the point Jesus, I think, is making is he moves seamlessly into forgiveness Based in part on his understanding that there is more to evil than corrupted human nature and that can help us when we're dealing with people that are hurting us right those small hurts i find sometimes i just this is where i go i'm like okay there's something here that isn't understood and we get so angry with those who are hurting us and or bigger scale anger over people know and i are in the midst of the vietnam documentary by ken burns if haven't seen that, that's a phenomenal thing to study, evil. Um, but, you know, you, you just want to be like, why don't they just understand what they're doing? <laughs> well, s- sometimes people just don't understand what they're doing. They, and they will never understand what they're doing. And it might be perfectly clear to us, but it might not be perfectly clear to them. So then Jesus explains this. He goes to verse 29. He says, No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. And here we begin to understand the methods of evil and why Jesus is adamant we do not become weed killers. This is so important. This is that real practical side of, I think, why Jesus said, no, allow, forgive, suffer. Because he knows ripping up the weeds will rip up the wheat too. Ripping up the weeds will rip up the wheat too. And anyone who gardens knows that there is always an early point in the gardening process where you really better know what you're doing, right? Because they all look the same. In a wheat field, when wheat first comes up, weeds look almost identical. And I know in my garden, our garden, Jennifer's garden, it's not really mine because I hate landscaping, but every spring there's a lot of stuff coming up. And Jennifer's quick to get out there and start, and I'm like, I don't know which one. I can't help you because I don't know which is a flower and which isn't. In fact, we have one big bush that I'm pretty sure is weed, but every year it grows so big and it covers a nice part of our yard and it has eventually purple flowers and the honeybees love it. So, all we went way off. But the point is, you can't, if you start ripping up weed, Jesus knows you might rip up the wheat too. And here is the enemy's scheme when it comes to the Christian church. He knows he can't rip up the wheat. He knows he's impotent against this. So what does he do? He schemes to get the kingdom's workers to do it for him. Now, thank God these servants knew better, and they didn't go start ripping up the weeds. But even a cursory reading of Christian history tells us the workers have often gotten involved in weeding. Right? And it's always led to some very tragic consequences. And we don't even need to get into the crusades or anything. Let's just use the story that I started with this morning. Roter's reasoning was the same as the workers in the parable. To stop the spread of evil, he was going to rip up the weeds. But here's the problem. He ripped up plenty of wheat. Number one, how many people who were already thinking Christianity was questionable in the first place Now have a good reason to reject it. So there's some wheat that just got destroyed. You know, I've met people sometimes in my travels, especially like on planes, and you're close to them, and inevitably that generic question always gets asked: "What do you do?" I'm a pastor, and then, oh, well, you don't want to talk to me, and I'm like, "Why wouldn't I want to talk to you? Because I'm this or I'm that, and you guys hate this and that." And I'm like, "All right, sorry that that's what you think Christianity is. That's so you know, so I get this." People think we're all haters. So that's ripping up the weeds. Number two, how many women who may have been at least willing to listen to reasons why there are other options for unwanted pregnancy will now simply ignore it because they think all anti-abortionists are as crazy as this guy? And number three, what about Dr. Tiller himself? He was in church when he was killed. He was a confessing, committed Christian. I'd say that's ripping up the wheat. And now before anyone starts arguing in their head, or if you're talking to someone that would come at you with this argument, well, he couldn't possibly be a Christian if he was performing abortions. All right. So two things here. First of all, not all abortions are done for convenience. And as a doctor, he was sworn to uphold the health of the women he treated. And I know that's a huge conversation. I know it's a huge dialogue that has been going on in this country for a long, long time. And everyone should take time in their own studies, in their own prayer life, to come to a conclusion on what they feel about abortion. Okay? But, but even if we are convinced that all abortion is a sin, the argument still remains that I mean sorry even if we're convinced that abortion is still a sin the argument that Dr. Tiller couldn't have been a Christian fails for if we pause to look in the mirror we all know we do not have to be 100% wheat to be a Christian if we do we're all out of luck And don't start the whole thing where well some sins are worse than others And I think, isn't that ultimately at the heart of what Christ is warning about in this parable? There are no all good guys, and there are no all bad guys. I know we like to think there are Especially, especially those bad guys that hurt us. We love to think of them as all bad, and deserving of the worst possible judgment. But think about it. Just pause for a second when you're getting wrapped up in that. Or you're listening to someone else get all worked up about yes yes it's like this just think about it for a second think about our own lives haven't we heard others I have I have don't we often look a lot more like weeds than we do wheat? <laughs> I do you know the other night I was coaching a game and might have to edit this, uh, because the coach of the other team is a pastor of a very large church in Central Mass, too. He's a great guy, and um, he is. We, we get along very well. He's a very, very good coach against a very, very good team, and it was a really, really good game, and I'm just fortunate to have a group of players this year that are exceptional, so we were beating them pretty good, and every now and then I'd look over, and i Watching them and listening to them, and I'm like, I wonder what his congregation would think if they saw that. But then there I am judging him, and I'm like, I wonder what people think that they saw me. I happened to have a good day that day, but there have been times I have looked nothing like a Christian and nothing like a pastor. I've looked a lot like weeds. No one would even guess what I was. Isn't that true of all of us? Right? I think so. If the standards are simply black and white, Everyone should be ripped out of the garden. Gandhi had this great quote. He said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. He was absolutely correct. Because if we're going to start poking people's eyes out for sinning, everyone's eyes are getting poked out. Everybody's. Everybody's. The idea of neatly dividing humanity into good and evil is a very human invention. I don't think God does that, and I don't think we should. Now. And here we go, because I'm sure some of you are making these arguments in your head, so I want to complete this fully. Or maybe not your own arguments, but people you might be talking to. So I just want to wrap, wrap this up, because I think this is one of the most beautiful parables Jesus told. Even for those of us who want to hyper-spiritualize this parable and call the wheat the saved and the weeds the unsaved, okay? so there, therefore, well, of course, it, it's different because wheat Because of Christ are completely righteous, that is true. And I get all that. But we should be very careful. Because number one, number one, what litmus test are we using to decide who is wheat and who is wheat? What litmus test are we using? Christianity is a big tree with many branches. And each branch has their own litmus test that they believe is correct. And yes, they all have scripture to support that litmus test. We need to be careful. You know, the term, you know when Christians use the term, I I go to a Bible-believing church, I'm always deeply offended by that because I've been in pretty much every possible kind of Christian church here in the States as well as in other countries. I've never gone to a Christian church that doesn't believe. Now, if you're trying to say, I go to a church and our interpretation of the Bible is the only correct one, okay, fine, then just say it. But don't say you're a Bible-believing church and that church over there is not. Don't do that. There are five canons. We can have that argument, which canon is. But there are five canons in Christianity. They all have a great story on why they're the real canon, too. But do you see what I mean? Do we really want to play God? when there are so many possible litmus tests? Maybe we should just be worried about that we're growing up wheat. Right? Right? All right. Number two. Now, I'm going to challenge us here. I want us to think about the gospel as Christ and Paul tell it. Why don't you try to forget for a second everything that you've been taught and just think about this as they tell it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son. Right? We know the rest of that. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to hear this. Because I think this is true. Everyone is invited. And until that moment comes that only God knows, when someone absolutely rejects that invitation, everyone is in. God died to save the world. The world is saved. Right? Now, hear me out. Hear me out. I'm going to actually let one of my favorite theologians. This is this is such a beautiful understanding the way he puts this all together. He became a cookbook writer later in life, which is why he loves talking about food this way. To put it in theological terms, redemption depends solely on the inner life of the Trinity and on the incarnation of the Word of God. The reconciliation of all things has always lain hidden in the ordinary being of all things. Or, to put it in more everyday language, heaven is not a matter of choice. Like the spinach soup at the Waldorf, it's served to you no matter what you order. Hell, of course, is a real possibility. But it's only an option of sorts. It's a choice not to trust to have no faith in the word who's already holding you in the redeeming soup of the eternal interchanges between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in those interchanges, it's the word of God himself who is the final key to the mystery, not your worthiness as a valued customer. Oh, how beautiful is that? And I think when you read Scripture, it's completely supportive of that. God loves all of us. God died for all of us. God is perfectly able to forgive all of us and redeem all of us. Here's the thing. Yes, we can walk out. And sadly, some will. And the day is coming when wheat the weeds will be dealt with. I am not saying that Jesus didn't say this. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat. But here's my question. Do we want to decide that the invitation has expired for anyone? Do we really want to be part of that? I was watching one of my favorite shows last week, the new season, I'm not going to say it, because some of you watching might not be caught up. And there was this incredible scene in which uh, a person in charge killed someone for something they did. And two people were part of that that transgression, but only one of them got killed. And there was this great conversation with someone who disagreed with what the leader had done. And they were having this, oh, it was... Awesome conversation. And, and finally the leader said, listen, here's how it is. I didn't kill that person because everyone deserves a chance. And I'm going to give them another chance. And that person had been an alcoholic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the person I killed had had plenty of chances. And I'd just never taken advantage of all the chances they had been given. And then the leader said this. Some people can be redeemed. Some people just can't. And as she walked away, the other person said, and who's going to make that decision? We should not be in the game of making decisions about who can't be redeemed. God died for everyone. And until the day they completely reject it, and I don't know when that day is, I think we should be treating everyone as though they're God's children until they prove to Him otherwise, not to us. Not to us. But even if you reject all I'm suggesting about wheat and weeds, or if you're having a conversation with anyone that would reject this, and even if it is for you a simple black and white parable that some are saved and some are not, the point is still the same look at this verse please please look at this verse as important as the allow verse is, this is important we could forget about everything I just said in fact I was just going to do this one paragraph sermon I should do that someday but the point Jesus is making is the same don't weed the garden. It's not our job. There it is, right there. It's not our job. Whenever the garden gets weeded and whenever the weeds get burned, whatever judgment comes to those who reject the amazing grace that God offers, it is something only God and his angels do. It is not about us we are called to simply follow his command. Allow, forgive the evil around us. Because in so doing, who knows how many weeds will become in the end wheat. As the love of God through us grows the kingdom. Might God help us all. Amen.